I did not even know. I said things, did things that were like really weird and uncomfortable for my parents. I did not even know I needed help. I didn't know anything had even gone wrong or that I like I was just lost and and it wasn't until my parents offered to take me to rehab and I got my first like 60 days clean that I realized how messed up I really was and how I didn't know I needed help. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Hope Stream. If you're parenting a teen or young adult child who's experimenting with drugs and alcohol or who's in active addiction, treatment or early recovery, you're in the right place. I am Brenda Zane, your host and a mom who has been there. So just take a minute to exhale. Know you're in good company and just know this is your place to soak up support, understanding and get some really great information. You can learn more about me and the work I do to serve parents like you at brendazane.com. It's been a while since I've had a recovery story on, so I'm bringing you one today that I think will provide some real aha moments. I believe these stories are important because it's one thing to hear this stuff from me, and it's another to hear it from a young person who has lived experience with substances and mental health. It is really a brave thing for a young person who is only 22 to share their story on a podcast, especially when they're new to recovery. Spencer is one of those brave guys. He had 10 months of recovery when we spoke, and he was willing to take us on his journey starting in 8th grade when he discovered alcohol and marijuana. I am not sure if you have picked up on this, but 8th grade is often the time when kids find their way to substances either as a way to cope with difficult emotions or trauma or to fit in socially or to ease anxiety it's the age i hear both from parents and therapists as one of the most pivotal in terms of kids veering off track or staying on track and i have learned a big part of which direction they take at that fork in the road tends to be their support system their friend group and how attuned their parents are to who they truly are as an individual and what they're experiencing in school and life. It's an age where they need tools to help with anxiety and distrust tolerance and it's also a time when they often don't want to talk or share much with you as a parent. So it is really challenging. I don't have a magic answer for you. I truly wish I did. But I do want to highlight that because you can be more aware and also seek out resources to help your family through those really hard middle school and early high school years. What you're going to hear now from Spencer is a really honest account of what he was struggling with, how his thought process worked, and the bumpy road he traveled to get to where he is today, which is a productive member of society with a great job and healed relationships with his family. It is impressive. And I know it'll be inspirational to you regardless of where your child is in the journey. So take a listen and I will see you on the other side. Welcome Spencer to Hope Stream. This is a going to be a great conversation. I love talking to people in recovery. So, I really appreciate you coming on today. So, thanks. Thank you for having me. 
I'm excited. Yeah. You know, what's really cool about this conversation is that I think the, all the other people I was trying to just rewind in my brain earlier today. I think all the other people I've had on the podcast who are in recovery have been at least 10 years or more. And so I think that's a different conversation. I mean, I'm sure there's similarities, but I think it's really cool that you're willing to do this um, fairly new into recovery because there's going to be things and insights um, that you have, I think that we might miss if we talk to somebody who's, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So why don't you tell us kind of where you are today, as much as you want, where you live, what you do, what life looks like on a day-to-day basis, just sort of quickly. And then we'll go back and do a little bit of a rewind and find the story probably back when you're a bit younger. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Currently I have 10 months clean and that is total abstinence, no drugs or alcohol. I do use nicotine, like I smoke cigarettes and I vape and stuff, but um, I am a productive member of society. I have a full-time job and I'm a semi-truck driver. I love what I do. I have healthy relationships with my family. And just for context, how old are you? I just turned 22 uh, in November. So 22, not, you said nine months, right? Uh, I have 10 months right 10 now. 10 months, which trust me, I know every month counts. Um, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. Just that. I mean, I don't want to overlook that fact because, you know, you mentioned, I also have a job. I drive a semi truck, which, you know, I'm, I know they don't hand over the keys to semi trucks to just anybody. Right. You have to go through quite a bit to get that. You have healthy relationships. I mean, I just hope you give yourself credit for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of myself. Like I know, like I didn't become a truck driver because I wanted anybody to congratulate me or acknowledge it. I just did it for myself and I'm proud of myself. Like I came a long way and it's great when other people recognize um, my progress, but um, ultimately it's like, I'm proud of myself. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it can be, and I just know this because I've been through this with my son as well, is that it can be, I think, easy to fall into some traps of kind of old thinking or comparison. And uh, so I just always like to make sure that people recognize how significant it is what you've done. So, yeah, I, I used to kind of like always have this mindset when someone else was doing better than me or had a hotter girlfriend or they had a made more money it's like I, I would try to like almost sabotage that because of jealousy or whatever but now it's like I'm just happy for that person mm. how did you get there like what switched that you're able to have that perspective I think I just got tired of thinking negatively in, in that area and just um, being happy for people because I realized there's nothing to gain by trying to tear somebody down so I just that's kind of how it changed. That's awesome. I think there's a lot of um, very old people who would benefit from having that perspective. So I wish we could spread that around a little bit more. Why don't we hop in a time machine and go back to, you You can pick the time 
um, but maybe a time when you think you started to sort of feel things shift for you in not such a great direction, or if there's a period of time where, where you want to start and just sort of tell us what transpired to lead you to getting into some of the things that you got into. I didn't realize at the time the path I was choosing to go down, but I went to a, a small school um, up until high school and in middle school, like eighth grade, I started finding like, I started like really being interested in like marijuana and like really curious about it. And I smoked weed for the first time. I drank for the uh, alcohol for the first time in eighth grade. And I didn't really enjoy the alcohol that much at all, but um, I smoked weed and I got uh, super high and it was like being silly and everything. And it was just a weekend thing for me throughout my freshman year. I would ask my mom if every weekend and she could give me a ride over to my friend's house. And then there'd be us three of us and we'd got to this little like train area where the tra- these trains would like stop and park and stuff. And we'd climb up there and smoke weed. And it was like, it started out as like a weekend thing. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. It was like, it was a blast to just get super high and like no, uh, no tolerance yet. And just um, kind of have fun. So like I went to a big school for high school and I noticed that when I, um, when I walked on campus that first day, I was like so filled with anxiety and I was like, this is what anxiety is. And I knew it when I, started experiencing it oh oh, I I don't know if I identified it right then but it was the first time in my life that I really noticed I was like really nervous and anxious and I kind of I smoked weed uh drank a little bit sometimes I smoked weed on the weekends and then kind of started going into like going to school high stoned and like um 420 was like a big fun day because like um, I had like a edible and one of my childhood friends had an edible and it was just kind of like this like started it's like a fun thing but then like my sophomore year came around and I was involved with this this girl and I don't know why but that that time of my life is when the like the disease of addiction like really like reared its head which was always there but I just started to get like anxiety through the roof. Like I'd go to school and like try to interact with people. Cause I'm like social and an extrovert and I would try to interact and socialize with people and walk up to people, talk to them, just be funny or whatever. And I couldn't keep my composure and like face someone face to face. I like couldn't even look someone in the eye and hold a conversation because I just like had overwhelming emotions of, anxiety or shame or something like I don't even know what it was I was feeling but it was very uncomfortable and embarrassing and I didn't want people to know what I was feeling and I tried to hide it as best I could but um, I noticed that that time in my sophomore year was when I really started trying to smoke weed as much as I could before school smoke weed uh, at lunch go to the you know go to the park at lunch it was just right down the road from the high school right and uh, try to and I would just get high every every day at that point because when I would get stoned I I didn't have to feel anything I was just kind of 
in the moment, I guess, and like not in my head. Right. Um, and so it was at that time, it was around like my sophomore year that I started to really become like dependent where like to feel okay, like I had to be stoned. Yeah. Can we go back just a little bit? Because you you said something that I think a lot of parents and you know, the people that listen to this are, are going to mostly be parents who are in probably what your parents' shoes were, your mom and your stepdad's shoes, where you don't necessarily understand what that anxiety is. It's like, come on, go to school. You know, it's high school. Everybody goes to high school. What could you be so worried about? Like what you're a cool kid, you're friendly, you're outgoing. And, and you said, you know, as soon as you got to that big campus, you just felt this overwhelming sense of anxiety. Could you talk about what that kind of felt like inside of you? Kind of what, do you know what you were afraid of or what was causing that? It was like, I was so shaky on the inside and I had no sense of inner strength to just be myself. And like, yeah, I don't know if it was anxiety for sure, but. Would you feel like in your chest or what, how, like from a physical standpoint, what would it was like, it sounds funny, but it was like in my, like my facial area, like like I was just like my like my smile like I was just like insecure about my smile and I just it for some reason like the emotion itself was would get triggered because like I would try to cover it up by smiling and whenever I smile is I felt like I was overtaken with that emotion and it's it's weird I don't I don't know if anyone else can identify with that but it was like my my face and my smile and like I've been told I'm a pretty handsome person, but yeah, like, I, I've seen you. So I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like weird. Cause like, I didn't, I, I couldn't like face someone and have like a, I don't know. I just, that self-confidence. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think that's really common. And I just wanted to tap into that a little bit because I think it can be hard as a parent to really understand what someone's going through, what our kids are going through when they feel that way, because, you know, we're always like, oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're so talented. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. And we think that that's going to like make them feel that way. And I think it doesn't. Well, people like, it's crazy how like so many people did not even know what I was going through, but I was like struggling so bad. Like I just think back now and I'm like, I was like, I am like pretty tough like emotionally not really physically but emotionally I was like ready to go to the doctor and be like I need some anxiety medication because like this is just I always before that point in my life I was always very confident and then I and I started getting such bad anxiety to where I was like what is going on with me and like there was a lot of pot smoking like marijuana and that definitely makes it like so much worse yeah. Yes. And <laughs> the the misperception is, oh, this is ma- this is going to make it all better, which I'm sure it does for a little while. It's just a Band-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now you're in high school, you're smoking a lot of weed, you're still feeling anxious. And what's what's happening then? I had like a spiritual awakening and I started becoming aware of my emotions a lot more and I just I kind of stuck to myself for a while and 
I cut off like all my like pot smoking buddies and and all the people that I was formerly hanging out with. I stopped smoking weed and I I pretty much stayed completely sober for like seven months. But I and just kind of got into spirituality and was watching a lot of YouTube videos and just reading stuff and all that like new age type spirituality stuff. And then I met this this guy and we became friends at school and he said he was kind of going through the same thing. And then I just one day was like, kind of, I felt like um, drawn to, to smoke weed again. And so I did. And um, I was a junior in high school at this point. And I also tried LSD that year when I was a junior and the, the, the weed smoking progressed basically slowly over time and I wasn't really getting any real benefit from it because like I felt fine sober it was just for some reason my my addictive mentality was like just wanted to do it and so like I was gradually smoked more weed took LSD tried that and it was like a crazy high like really intense and took that and ran with it and didn't think about the consequences and so by the time I was a senior, I had done more, done more LSD by that point and smoked and was smoking weed all the time. Like um, when I was a senior, it was like, I was, I dealt with like all, like ever since like my junior and senior year, I dealt with like really, really intense, like painful feelings of loneliness and just feeling isolated. And which I know like there's so many people uh, that feel that but especially like young people I know they do and I developed some serious like drug-induced psychosis type mental issues from the LSD and was smoking weed all the time and I'm just kind of walk like I had nothing I didn't have a pot to piss and even though I lived in my parents house I had uh zero dollars in my bank account and like spiritually bankrupt Uh, Am I going too far or do you want me to keep going? No, no, that's great. Um, But I I would love to ask you, you said the word consequences and and I I don't want you to lose track of where you were because I wanted you to keep going. But I also, I think that's one thing where as parents, we look at what our kids are doing. We're like, don't they see the consequences of what they're doing? And so I would love to get your insight on that. What are you thinking when you're doing all of these things? <laughs> the answer is no, we don't see the consequences. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't because I think at that age, it's the brain's not fully developed, first of all. And so we're not thinking long-term. The consequences don't really matter because you want to get high. And um, most addicts get high till the wheels fall off, till it's like they hit their bottom and then they're motivated or um, willing to get clean and try a new way of life, work the steps, et cetera, work the program. So that's helpful. Thank you. Because I think that's one of the things that's extremely frustrating. And, you know, we, as parents, we sort of just bang our head against the wall saying, how in the world does this kid not see what's happening? But it, it it's great to hear that from you, that it isn't a willful, like, oh, I'm just going to ignore all these bad things that are happening. It's just not even in the picture. Real quick, here's like a nugget. When I was like a senior in high school and I was had drug-induced psychosis and I was still attending school and just like 
super addicted and just miserable. Um, I did not even know. I said things, did things that were like really weird and uncomfortable for my parents. And just, I, I just acted out in certain ways and I did not even know I needed help. I, I was like, I didn't know anything had changed. I didn't know I used to be healthy and I didn't know anything had even gone wrong or that I, like I was just lost and, and it wasn't until uh, my parents offered to take me to rehab and I got my first like 60 days clean that I realized how messed up I really was and how I didn't know I needed help. That is very, very interesting that from the outside looking in, we can see this just looks crazy. And, you know, this person used to be this and they used to be that. And and we can see all these things. But I think that's so interesting what you just said that from the inside looking out, you didn't see that. Right. So, okay. So let's go back. We went a little detour. Let's go back to now you're junior in high school. You're having marijuana induced psychosis. You've tried LSD. Sounds like things are pretty bad. At what point was this that your parents offered the treatment? I would say that the psychosis was from the LSD. Like the marijuana never never caused the psychosis really. Got it. But, okay. Uh, so it was like, yeah, I was taking too much LSD. And um, I was a senior in high school. And my biological dad came to my mom's who I was living with full time because we had kind of, my dad and I had a little bit of a falling out and um, I went to live with my mom when I was, a, I think the end of my junior year or something, but he came over and, and said, if, if you're willing to go, we'll send you to a place uh, to get your life together. And um, I didn't know what that even meant. I didn't know it was a rehab, but he said it's down in LA and I thought I was just going to go like work like a prisoner or something. I didn't know like what right. I was going to do. Right. And he said it was in LA and I was like, Oh heck yeah. I definitely want to go because I had like really wanted to live there or check it out. And like, this was my opportunity. And so I agreed. And this was in February of 2019. We packed up my stuff. My dad bought me a duffel bag and some other stuff that I needed. And, uh, he drove me down to Yucaipa, California. It's a treatment center called Benchmark Transitions. We pull up to this gate, and it's there was a big house, and I still didn't even know what this place was. I didn't know it was a rehab. I just there's a picture of me when I got when I entered the program, and I had like a buzz cut, and I just looked like crap. Like I not like like spiritually like I looked dead right there wasn't really physically anything wrong with me but mentally I was so like bad but um I just um stayed at that house for 30 days and did horse cleanup chores and had scheduled lunch scheduled breakfast scheduled dinner took started taking medication and did you go through a detox at that point like were you bad enough or you had to go through some detox or were you able to kind of join into the program and, and just start shifting things from there. That was kind of like the detox phase because I was never on like heroin or like meth or anything like that. But the detox phase was like that the first 30 days I spent at that house, it was kind of um, 
secluded. It wasn't like it wasn't uh, outpatient yet, so it was like inpatient or something. Okay. I think maybe. Yeah. So you're living there. Yeah, I was living there. How did that feel? Were you kind of like, whoa, what just happened? I'm now living at this other place, or were you kind of okay going along with it? I thought it was awesome. I thought it was pretty awesome. I, it was nice house and it was strict, but um, it was really a pretty awesome experience because I was like, <laughs> didn't have to go to high school anymore. And it was right? just, like, yeah. <laughs> and it must have started to feel a little bit better, like you said, from an emotional, spiritual standpoint. Yeah. It just kind of be able to just kind of relax and just, um, I mean, I, I was, I had to heal for a while before I, kind of got my sanity back, I guess. We started going to NA and AA meetings and that's when I was introduced to those programs. Then we, after 30 days, I got transferred to another house and with a, which a much, which with a much bigger group of guys, uh, most of them around my age at the time I was 18. So I was like outpatient then. And during the day we, shuttled over to in a they had like sprinter mercedes sprinter vans and it was like my dream come true because it was like there's big streets where it's like southern california there's like palm trees all down it's really clean and nice it's like the, the typical dream of like california like right. it was like that and so that was cool and we'd go to the outpatient center i think is what they called it for for during the daytime and do groups and i was in outpatient for maybe five or six months and then uh, I got a girlfriend and then I uh there's a the last phase of it is like I lived in an apartment with a couple other guys roommates that was like the last phase of it wow so this is really interesting because the perception mostly I think from parents standpoint is my kid is never going to agree to go to treatment if I offer it. And if they do, they're probably going to hate it and they're probably going to try to run away. I think there's a lot of uh, a misperception maybe that they're, that they're automatically just going to hate it. And I know from experience that, you know, I had a son who was very treatment resistant, but it's not always the case. It sounds like you were really at a point where you were looking for a way to get into a different situation. Mm -hmm. And this feels like it was a pretty healthy situation. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely, there was a couple of times when I so badly wanted to leave and I was like, I packed up my stuff one, at least once and was like about to walk out the door. And, and uh, one of the staff members convinced me to stay every time, but um, I was just in so much pain that I just was like, and I didn't like the structure all the time and the rules. And I just wanted to do whatever I wanted. Right. For most people, they become willing when they've suffered enough. So that's just like, that's just is what it is. Like, it's not like if you try to tell someone they have a drinking problem and they're in denial or they just, they're going to like justify their drinking or they're using. And I had hit my bottom. So I was um, willing to, it took a little while for me to really work the program, but um, I definitely knew I had found a gift of NA and the fellowship. Hi, I'm taking a quick break because I want to let you know about the private online community I created and host 
for moms who have kids misusing drugs or alcohol. It's where I hang out between the episodes, so I wanted to share a little bit about it. This place is called The Stream, and it isn't a Facebook group. It's completely private, away from all social media sites, where you start to take care of yourself. Because through all of this, who is taking care of you? The Stream is a place where we teach the craft approach and skills to help you have better conversations and relationships, and we help you get as physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy as possible so that you can be even stronger for your son or daughter. You can join us free for two weeks to see if it's the right kind of support for you and learn more about all the benefits that you get as a member at thestreamcommunity.com. And I'll see you there. Now let's get back to the conversation. You've been there. You've done the inpatient. You've done the kind of out intensive outpatient it sounds like then you went into sounds like kind of a sober living arrangement and you're 18 that's a tricky place to be so what what did you do from there I left rehab on October 1st of 2019 so my uh, my case manager from rehab left the treatment center and did his own business where he was mentoring Uh, young adults with addiction problems and my parents liked him and he liked me and so so I was I was going to join the Marine Corps like from rehab and just go straight there Um, and my parents uh, offered me something a lot better they said you can live in an apartment with this roommate who you already know who I knew from from treatment they said you can live in this apartment in Redlands and and your case manager will be your mentor. And um, I said, okay, it sounds good. And the day I got out of rehab, I, me and my roommate got, he was already living in the apartment because he left treatment before I did, but we got dab pens, got, you know, weed and got high the, the day I left uh, treatment. And we, we lived in this apartment for, from October 2019 to summer 2020. And um, I got high most, most of that whole time. It was supposed to be where I was going to live in this apartment and get a job and um, help pay my way and um, get on my feet. It was like a transition phase from treatment, but it just was not what happened at all. It sounds like you've done so well. You're appreciative of the opportunity you know, a lot of things were going well. And another kind of confounding thing for parents is when we see our kids relapse and they've been doing so well and we know they feel healthy and they look amazing and, you know, all these things are going really well. And then there's something like that, a return to use. And you just think, what is going on? Like what, what could possibly be going through your brain to think this is what I want to do? Or do you have words for that? Cause I know that's probably gotta be even confusing for you, but I'd love to know if there's any insight. This is like a very common thing that most addicts at one point in their life, in their story, in their addiction have experienced where they were using and getting high, even when they didn't want to, and they might have really wanted to stop, but for some reason they couldn't control they're using and they couldn't stop on their own and like most of my 
relapses were like, or at, at that time, at least I did not want to get high anymore. I really didn't, but I just couldn't stop basically. Wow. That's really, it's, yeah, it's just so difficult to understand looking, looking at it. Um, and it must be difficult to understand when you're doing it, I would think. Are you asking yourself, like, as you're sitting there, you know, with a dab pen, are you, are you thinking, why am I doing this? Or are you just sort of going with the flow? I think I was hoping each time I got high for the first time that day, I think I was kind of hoping this time it's going to be fun and this time I'm going to enjoy it. But then I was always kind of put into a dark space every time I do it. And But it was like the cycle would keep repeating. I was always chasing that high that I used to get in high school when it was like fun and when when I didn't have to feel my emotions or like I, I could just um, get out of my head and um, yeah. it just wasn't doing that for me anymore. Right. But you keep trying and it, and it keeps not working. So clearly you have some steps backward, but, but we're sitting here talking today. So what transpired from there to get to where you are today? My mentor and my parents were telling me I need to start paying some of the, Right. And I had a couple of different jobs here and there that I didn't stick with and that I lost and then I quit and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't hold a job, whatever. And um, I'm kind of crazy. So uh, like I say that in a positive way, like I, I stepped into the unknown uh, and I like left the apartment with whatever I could carry and decided I was going to be homeless because I was like, hey, I, I want to try it out. And That's something you don't hear every day. I want to try out being homeless. Yeah, because and I, I even wanted to try it in here where I live too, in my hometown. I, I wanted to try it then, but I I just wanted to have the experience of it and I, I wanted to have uh, no responsibility and right. um so I, I, I left the apartment. Um and I look back fondly on this time in my life, even though at the time it was such a struggle because I I, I went to the first thing I did was go down to the AA hall and I talked to this guy who I felt like drawn to like he had a personality that I was kind of thought was like interesting. And so I, 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 I asked him if I could, if he had somewhere I could stay for a while. And he had the impression that I was going to get a job right away and start working. And I was like, uh, I knew in my, I knew inside that that's not what I was going to do. And I was just afraid to be on my own on the street. So um, I went and stayed with him and it turns out he had like major, major anger issues and was like flying off the handle all the time. And um, it was just really agonizing to be around. And we were sitting in his little trailer. He lived in a, like a RV park. I asked him to be my sponsor and I had never had a sponsor before. And he was AA. I was, I'm more of an addict, but he said he'd sponsor me and so we got kind of into the step work and for the first time I had been going to, this was like August, 2020. And I had been going to NA since for over a year in AA and I didn't work a single step. I just went to meetings to socialize and which is fine. But I was like, finally, I was like, okay, I'm ready to just try this step thing out and do it. So we got into the step work and, uh, I worked a few steps with him and it was like really simple. We just read uh, some of the literature out of the AA book and 
and I wrote a couple of paragraphs on what I read and that was it for step one and then did the same thing for step two and um I left his place he, he told me I had to go and so I left his place and just went and stayed with someone else and this guy I was staying with had two and a half years clean and he relapsed while I was living there and um basically told me I had to go and um so I, I left and I then I went on my own fully and I was sleeping uh at night behind this this like coffee shop in Redlands and I knew people from the AA hall and the NA hall and they would like kind of we'd hang out during the day and they buy me coffee in the morning I'd I'd help them with like old help an old guy with his computer and he'd buy me coffee and if I was hungry he'd buy me food and sometimes people would give me money and I did that for a little bit and it was it was fine I was staying completely clean while I was homeless and I had worked up to step six and after that sixth step I I decided there was a shift in who I wanted to be like there was a shift inside where I think it was the step work um, that, that caused this shift, but I decided that I wanted to have money now and I wanted to work. And so my mentor, he was like, well, you can join the Con California Conservation Corps. And, uh, I hated it. It was like really, really hard labor. Um, I had a hell of a time because like a lot of the people there seemed like they didn't really like me. And I had like, there was a lot of uh, anger that was going on um, at that time. And, I had worked up to step six and the step work definitely worked because what it did was it removed my desire to get high, which is like for an addict, that is, that is like the one thing that NA promises is lose the desire mm. to use. And that is what I had gotten. And I only worked half the steps, but I had lost the desire. And for the first time in my recovery, I got nine months clean in the California conservation Corps, And, um, got my nine month chip and there was a lot of people there that were drinking and getting high. And, um, I relapsed, I got drunk and I drank for a week or two and I wasn't working the steps at that time. And I wasn't, I didn't have a sponsor and I wasn't really involved. I just was like, I am done with this. I, I wasn't, it's not that I didn't want to work anymore, but I was just done with the CCC. So I, without telling anybody, I resigned so I got picked up from the spike location and got taken back to the center. And I had like a day to arrange travel. And my plan, my plan was that I was going to get a train back to Southern California and be homeless again. And uh, that was my, my plan because it worked out so well the first time. Right. Again. Right. Dude, let's repeat that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I called my mentor and he's like, you are not doing that. He put his foot down. He's like, that's not what you're going to do. And he said, call your parents and see if you can live with them again. Uh, so my dad uh, was the first one to let me stay with him. I stayed with him first and he was going through a nasty breakup. And I just, um, I worked some different jobs, did construction, did temp agency stuff, did little stuff here and there. I made like, like 19, thousand dollars that year and like that was that was a drastic drastic improvement from the year before so that just shows proof and it's not that much money but that just showed proof that I had changed and I was now working and that was something I was doing now and I was committed and so I 
overheard this guy at NA and he was saying, yeah, he's like, I'm going to school to get my class A. And I was 21 at the time. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, so you can be a truck driver. And I'm listening. I'm kind of like in my spirit, I was like, that sounds like something I might like. Cause I had never even gave it a second thought. I never thought anything about it. Hey, maybe one day I'll be a truck driver. No, I never thought that. And, and for some reason, my spirit, it, it wasn't like necessarily like it was my calling, but it was more like, I might like this. So I signed up for school. I got a, I got a grant for 80% of the cost of it was like covered by this grant. Wow. And uh, I had a girlfriend, um, during the summer and um balanced basically hanging out with her and i quit i i quit my, put in my two weeks at at this moving company and did trucking school for six weeks and breezed right through it like the, the beginning and everything and like i passed my dmv test on the first try and that's like the hardest part and wow. uh, i just excelled because like i just like being clean clear-headed um higher self-esteem than i've ever had and more drive more confidence, everything. And I passed my test and I have been a truck driver now. And so I, I, uh, right now I'm currently on step nine. I have a great sponsor and I made my first amends to my stepdad, um, for all that crap we went through and, uh, in high school and just gives me goosebumps. Yeah. So I made my first amends and I'm just planning on working all 12 and staying clean. I'm pretty sure that this is probably going to be the first time I'm going to get a year in recovery on Valentine's day. I will have a year. So, well, we are going to be celebrating with you. So make sure and send me a note if on that day so that we can celebrate with you. Um, So gosh, (laughs) this is just there. It's a lot. um, Yeah. I think what (laughs) stands out to me is this juxtaposition between what you're thinking in your head and sort of how clear you were about uh, these decisions. I'm going to be homeless or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And at the same sort of, sort of this contrast in what you're thinking and what you're doing, because again, that outside looking, you know, from us on the outside looking in would be like, what is this guy doing? But you, you actually had, you know, like you were thinking about it and maybe it wasn't what, you know, the right thing for the long term, but it sounds like there was something going on in you where you sort of knew you had to go through these different phases or experiences that led you to where you are today. Is that true? Exactly. There was definitely a sense of inner um, guidance, you know, like not like from my higher power, but like a sense of like, this is what my spirit is calling me to do. And that's, that's the direction I'm going to go. And the, the, the thing is I I've been guided um, within uh, for even, even all through my bottom of my addiction and all the way up until now, it's like, I was kind of just doing what I wanted to do. And miraculously, like I all through my bottom when I, when I was getting high and, um, in high school and stuff I I in when I was a senior is like I just surrendered to my addiction and did what I wanted and just it's just like I just I did I stepped into the unknown a couple different times in my life and it propelled me to get to where I'm at so much faster than I don't know how to explain it but yes like like exactly what you're saying it's pretty accurate yeah okay 
That's yeah. That just kind of struck me as I was listening to you. Um, and then there, I have two other questions uh, that I would love to ask. One is, what was your relationship like with your mom? So it was your mom and your stepdad who were together, and then also your dad. What were those relationships like while you were going through this? Were you in conversation with your parents? Were you distant from them? Like what was going on there? The relationships definitely had a more positive interactions when I was clean, when I went to treatment. And my dad and I, like, it, it was, it's almost like all th- my, my biological dad, like it's almost like through all of this time, nothing's really any different than it ever was. Like, it's just kind of, I've changed. So it makes it easier to interact with him because I'm a different person. He doesn't, I don't have to count on him to change. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. Because that's, that's really incredible. And I just wonder if, is there anything that any of your, either your mom or your stepdad or your dad, is there anything that you remember them either doing or saying that either pushed you further in a positive direction or further in a negative direction? That's a good question, but I don't think there was, there was anything really that had such a, that, that they did that had such a great impact in one direction or the other. It just was kind of all me. Like, yeah. Yeah, that and I ask that because as parents, we always feel like if I could just find the right thing to say, if I could just find the right video to show him or the right podcast or the right, you know what I mean? Like we're always just thinking, oh, if I could just do the right thing. And what I hear from from people who I talk to is that there there isn't like you could definitely make it worse. And there's certain things that you can do, I think, to help somebody maybe with their self-examination and things like that. But it's not something that a parent can fix. It's just not possible. Right. My best, I'm actually going to give some advice here. If you're a parent and you have a, a son or daughter that has like addiction or alcoholism, my best advice would be pick up a basic text, an NA basic text, and read some of it. Or big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and read it. And when addict, an addict reads the basic text of NA, the first like five pages is all it takes. And it just speaks to them because it's like, that's exactly me. That's mm. that's what I went through and that's how my mind works. And so that's probably my best advice is get, get the book and help you understand um, that person. Yeah, that's a great, great tip. And I've heard that I, I have, I know somebody who, while her son was going through it, she decided to do the 12 steps herself, even though she wasn't, you know, struggling with alcohol or, or, you know, anything, but she just wanted to understand what is this. And she said it was just transformational for her yep. to go through that. So awesome advice. Um, and then my last question is, is there a tool or a skill that you learned along the way that you kind of keep going back to that, that really works for you? Yeah, so there's actually a couple. Um, one of them is that when I'm really struggling, what it really comes down to is I could be doing well, things in my life are going well, but I don't feel good emotionally. So one of the tools, it's so basic, so simple, yet so uh, important is just literally just being with how my feelings and feeling them. 
And that's like one tool I use is just like, I have to remind myself sometimes that I don't need to fix my emotions. Mm. I don't need to try to figure out how to feel better. I just literally need to be with them. Right. And the other thing is like a shift in my mindset where it's like, uh, and how I react to the world. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a like surrender. It's in the step work surrender and it's a spiritual principle. And I try not to fight anything like, not physically, but uh, mm, mentally, yeah. uh, people, difficult people, um, difficult situations. I, I have a level of surrender that helps me just um, return back to that center in, within me and just not letting your will uh, run the show too much. Uh, another huge tool, this I can't believe I almost forgot about this, is calling somebody that's in the program or reaching out to somebody else. That's like one of the biggest ones because there's usually somebody that can help talk you through whatever you're going through. Right. And it sounds like you have a great sponsor, which is such a blessing, right? That you have. Yeah, definitely. Person. So amazing. Well, I, I can't tell you how many insights are going to be in here for people who listen. And I do hope some young people will listen because it's just great to hear um, your mindset, your sort of decision-making or lack of decision-making, right? Those are all really important things to understand. So it's just beautiful that you shared this and I'm just excited to kind of follow along and see how things go and all the adventures you're going to have. And we're going to be celebrating with you on Valentine's Day, 2023. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you, Spencer. We appreciate it so much. Thank and you. We just wish all the best for you and just keep it going. All right. Thanks. Okay. That is it for today. If you would like to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to brendazane.com forward slash podcast. All of the episodes are listed there and you can also find curated playlists there. So that's very helpful. You might also want to download a free ebook I wrote. It's called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Misusing Drugs. It'll give you some insight as to why your son or daughter might be doing what they are. And importantly, it gives you tips on how to cope and how to be more healthy through this rough time. You can grab that free from brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I hope that these episodes are helping you stay strong and be very, very good to yourself. And I will meet you right back here next week. Bye.